battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We're broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Ed Grister talks about the ongoing privatization of Medicare. Alabama paper mill workers reject another contract offer. Hazel Green cops kill the wrong man. Walgreens admits that the shoplifting craze from last year was not actually that bad. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week. Send us a text message throughout the week and we might answer it on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation or buy our hat or a t-shirt. I I had been telling y'all for like a month that we were out of hats and t-shirts. But I cleaned out my car the other day and I found like four or five more hats and one more t-shirt. We've got one red Join a Union shirt left and four or five of the good things unions, graphs, hats. So uh, send me donations at tvlr.fm slash donate if you want to get one of those. Or if you just want to support the show, you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Um, one perk of being a patron, that I don't talk about very often, is that you get uh, a commercial-free version of the show. Uh, whenever we drop our main show on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m., you get the whole show plus overtime without any ads. Uh, on the Patreon feed. So uh, that's a perk. If you're a member of a union, then think about getting your local to sponsor the show as well. We couldn't do this without our local union sponsors. So um, so let's start off with uh, uh, the headline story, and that is that workers at the Mart Mill have been locked out for over three months now, And last week, they just rejected the company's most recent offer, which still did not meet their demands. Uh, Takes a lot of courage and solidarity to vote down a contract after you've been locked out that long. 
But these folks believe that what they're fighting for is right, and it's great to see that kind of commitment to this. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough call. Uh, these folks mm-hmm. have families to feed, and, and they're making some tough decisions trying to do what they think is right. Uh, could you remind us, where is Mart Mill at in Alabama? Yeah, the Mart Mill is in Cottonton, Alabama. So that tells you where it that, that gives you an idea right now. No, it's just south of Fort Benning, Georgia. It is 30 minutes south of Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, about 45 minutes south of Columbus, Georgia. So it's in that area. Right on um, the Georgia line. Right okay. on the Georgia line. Yeah, it's so close to the Georgia line that when I've been down there, my phone is constantly changing from Eastern to Central time. And it is very irritating. I don't know what I would do if I lived there. I would... I, I, you'd have to turn that feature of your phone off and pick a time zone that, that you live most of your life by. You'd have to turn that feature of your phone off because um, it is not helpful when you're that close to the line. Um, but let's remind, uh, you know, I also, you know, in addition to reminding folks whereabouts the Mart Mill is, I also remind want to remind people how we got here. And that's that we got here because these folks have been overworked for the past four or five years Uh, To such an extent that over the last two years, the average, uh, uh, the average hours worked in the facility are 40% overtime. So 40% of all the hours worked are overtime hours. That's how much these people are having to work. Their production side is like 50 people understaffed. Um, It's just really, really like they're having to work way too much. And um, and they're having to work that much despite two very important clauses in their contract that the company is trying to remove. And those are the Sunday premium, which says you get time and a half on Sundays and double time if the Sunday is over 40 hours, and a hog law, which states that the whole shift turns into time and a half after you've gone over 16 hours, which honestly... Working over 16 hours is just insane. Like, that's not safe, especially in these big paper mill machines, you know, these big paper mills with these crazy machines, all these chemicals, and all all this stuff. I mean, it's really actually a dangerous job. And and so the idea that you're working on it over 16 hours, that the boss is asking you to work on it over 16 hours, um, really speaks to their inability to manage, that their poor job of managing, the fact that they have to ask somebody to stay over 16 hours, that means the managers of the plant are doing a bad job, right? Because not enough people are staying, obviously, to properly uh, uh, staff the mill. And so the company is wanting to take away these things. And and so rightfully, the workers are like, you're already working us this insane amount already. What's going to happen if these penalties are taken away? You're going to work us even more, obviously. Mm -hmm. That's like the obvious thing that's going to happen. One of these people that I talked to, he said that over the last two years, his uh, uh, he had worked an average of 49% overtime. 49% of all the Ooh, hours worked wait. were overtime. Okay? That's just insane. And so they're like, no way are we letting you take these things out of the contract because you'll just run us ragged if you do that. And, you know, obviously. Um, and the company was so insistent on taking these out of the contract that they were uh, that they said, okay, look, we'll give you a $30,000 bonus. And that tells you that this isn't really about the money. This is about the time that would be taken from them, right? Because they voted it down, even with a $30,000 one-time ratification bonus. Um, Because even with that, 
over the life of this contract, you still end up losing money. But then at the next contract, it's not much money that they would end up losing because of the $30,000 bonus. But uh, but the next contract, you're not going to get a $30,000 bonus, right? And that's the deal. That's the thing. And so they're wanting to keep these provisions in there, keep the monetary compensation of these provisions in there, um, the, the penalties for the overwork in there uh, for the people that come in after them for because th this is a, a thing that's this is a mill that's been open since 1966 there are generations of people working there you know before the lockout there was like you know grandfathers and fathers and sons that were all working in it together and so they're thinking about you know this is a real community job and people are thinking about folks that come after them and it's important that uh their time is protected yeah i think that's huge what you just laid out that Folks are considering what happens after they leave, right? Because this, right. it'd be easy for for some of the members who were close to retirement to say, "Let me just get that bonus and and move on, right. and just coast on out of here these last couple of years." But uh, that takes true solidarity <clears throat> to to understand how the contract's going to impact everybody and how it's going to impact folks even after you're gone. Yeah, even after you're no longer impacted, but the impact of your vote and your decisions. Yeah, will continue to carry on over the years, and I think that's just uh, that's a testament to uh, the organizing there in that local and mm -hmm. and the community they've built that they are willing to um, that they're willing to recognize that and to look at it from the big picture. Yeah, and and the support from the older members is really that. I mean, the uh, it's a lot of it is older members actually. The median tenure of an employee at this place is over twenty years. Wow. So more than half of uh, – that's what the union these is These folks have given a lot to this plant. Right. Uh, that's that's a lot of years. The, yeah, these people have given a lot to this plant, a lot of years. and but, but that also illustrates that, you know, the people that voted down this contract resoundingly the first and now the second time, um, they're not young guns – that are looking out for themselves. They're people that I talked to that's been working there 35 years, that's looking at retirement shortly, and they're like, you know, I could, they're telling me exactly what you just said, Adam, that I could have voted yes, and, you know, not that my one vote yes would have mean we accepted, but by that logic, you know, if I had accepted this contract, I would have actually I would have actually been better off as an individual because I'm retiring next year. You know, 60 of these people have already retired uh, since the lockout began. So a lot of these people, they would have actually been better off. But they're thinking about they voted no because they're thinking about the people that are working there now that are younger and the people that are going to come after them. Right. right. They're thinking about the future and not just themselves. Yeah. And they're thinking about the community and not just themselves. And that's that's what unionism is all about so the um so from the start you know their thing has been no concessions no concessions no concessions which is like the idea that no concessions has to be a rallying cry today you know in 2022 with this crazy labor market with uh this company having made more money than they ever have in their history in 2021 3.4 billion dollars of profit the executive team getting 53 percent compensation increases in mm. 2022 you know the idea that that their rallying cry is just don't take from us is really really that's you know that should show you the difference between the sides here you know you've got this one side of folks who are saying don't take from me 
Don't steal from me. Don't steal from my community. Don't take money that would be circulating in rural Alabama and send it to New York or D.C. or wherever the hell, right? That's one side. And the other side is a group of people that just on average, the CEO, I think, got a 300% raise in 2022, but the average of the executive team got a 53% raise. That's the other side. And they're saying, we want to take from you, right? So these are the sides. Okay. Um, but the, so that's been the, the, the rallying cry for the locals here for this whole time. And, um, and the other side is saying, well, how can we save face because y'all have the Sunday premium pay. We don't want to give it to you because no other mill in our organization has Sunday premium. How can we save face? How can we have integrity? Blah, 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 blah. And so what the negotiating team has done, um, and, and that they seem, from talking to the members, they seem to have support to do this, is that they have shifted from, from saying, you have to keep this language, these words in the contract, too, you have to maintain somehow the same compensation, okay? So if we, if, if with the maintenance of Sunny Premium and Hog Law, we would have made, you know, X amount, if you want to take this out, you've got to figure out a way to put X amount in the contract. Not as a ratification bonus, but as a general wage increase or as an increase to our retirement funds or an increase to the health care, etc. Right. You get the idea. And so that has been the shift that the negotiating committee has made recently. And uh, and so there has been some movement on that, uh, which is, you know, which is welcome. I think that my understanding is that they have moved. The company has moved four or five percent to getting to the 10%, <clears throat> right? So if you would if you would be 10% more compensated with these provisions in there, then they're about 5% there. They're about halfway there. But the thing is no concessions, right? And that's what these people are rallying around. They're saying, no, you got to give us the whole 10%. You got to at least maintain, right? That's what we want. We don't want you to, we don't want to meet halfway between you taking 10% and not taking anything. You, We don't want you to take anything. Right. We don't want you to take anything. And so that's what the contract offer was, more or less. You know, we could get into to some of the details of it and where all that money was. But um, but that was the gist, is that uh, between general wage increases, health care, and retirement, they were about halfway toward, from where they started to just not taking anything, to just maintaining the status quo. And so... Uh, and, and, and so... The company sent that as a quote-unquote last, best, and final, which that doesn't mean anything, to the membership uh, or to the negotiating committee. The International wanted the membership to vote on it. Membership voted on it, and they voted it down. They voted it down resoundingly. And so, uh, and so now they're going back to the negotiating table. Um, the company was wanting them back at work on January 16th because a lot of their help was only contracted actually through this week. Um, so we're, we'll see what the company does with this. But the company you know, has been making moves to um, making moves to obviously that they're anticipating a shift. They were anticipating a shift. They were anticipating, we think, 
myself and the union uh, leadership believes that they were anticipating these people going back to work because the trailers were leaving, the fences were coming down, all of this stuff uh, that's indicative of the lockout. This is all changing. Um, and so their help is leaving after this week. A lot of the help is leaving after this week. A lot of the scabs, the dirty, rotten, no good scabs, right? They're leaving after this week. And, um, and so we're going to see what happens uh, and how motivated the company is to get them back to work on January 16th. Um, but uh, the, the uh, Bobby Watson, president of one of the locals down there, he feels pretty confident that, um, that they can get the company uh, that they can get the company to move to, uh, to just not taking anything. So um, we're behind them. We're hopeful that uh, that they're able to maintain, and uh, we'll definitely keep you updated as this uh, as this progresses. So. Absolutely, yeah. Sending our solidarity down to the United Steelworkers at the Mart Mill. Best of luck. Stay strong. We're going to head to a break really quick. On the other side, we've got Pennsylvania union man Ed Grister on to talk about the privatization of Medicare. We will be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. 
Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell. How the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, send us a text message. Send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. After we wrap up with this guest, you can also give us a call at the same number, 844-899-8857. So Ed Grister is our guest this morning. He has more than 40 years of experience in the labor and healthcare justice movements. He is co-founder and current chair of the Western Pennsylvania Coalition for Single-Payer Healthcare. Served as president of the Butler County, Pennsylvania United Labor Council for 15 years. He's also got decades of experience organizing and negotiating contracts for healthcare employees with the Service Employees International Union and the Pennsylvania Association of Staff Nurses and Allied Professionals. Ed, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, uh, you know, one of our first interviews that we did on the program was with a few PASNAP nurses. So we really uh, we really liked having them on and, and think that that's really uh, probably, you know, one of the best unions out there. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would I I, I would say PASNAP is a, is a notch above most of the other unions, <laughs> which yeah, is. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I they, we would always argue that we're really we're really a different union. But then sometimes we. We would say that's because the bar is so low. But they are good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We we got to get some of them folks back on. In fact, uh, it's been too long. But uh, but today we wanted to talk to you about a recent article that you had in Counterpunch titled uh, "Labor Leaders Provide Cover for the Privatization of Medicare." 
Um, so, you know, let's start with a general overview of that article and we can dig in from there. So what what is the general thing that you're trying to get across in this article, Ed? Uh, I think the, the general theme is that Medicare is facing a literally an existential crisis. And the existential crisis is the uh, privatization of its services. It's being used as a cash cow, literally by the same insurance companies who refuse to provide services to the elderly and disabled when Medicare was originated in the 1960s. And because there's been an incessant drive to privatize it, literally, this is the 50th anniversary of the uh, inception of uh, insurance companies in Medicare. So Medicare mm -hmm. is created in 1965 because there were no effective, reasonable insurance for uh, people over 65. Yet what we see through the decades is not only Republicans, but now increasingly Democrats supporting the privatization of Medicare. And when we say privatization, we mean the insertion of insurance companies, third parties into the relationship and the payers and the doctors and the providers of care to the, to the patients. And, and I'll end it with this, because when we say we want single payer Medicare for all, what we're really saying is that the insertion of private entities, for-profit hospitals, uh, insurance companies to manage your care provides no value to healthcare. Literally, no value. It's a profit making. And my article was exposing that and and talking about why labor is is in a losing battle if they don't begin to expose this and come out for the public interest. And it's it's also related to the general crisis inside labor where I, I would say, and I'm going to just be upfront, that it's not capable of meeting the needs of the day where you have the mass of people more in favor of unions. The mass of people, the public wants to have some kind of uh, healthcare solutions, but we really don't have a movement that is pushing that. And I think that we're, we're, we're trying to articulate that we're losing. We're losing uh, the possibility of Medicare maintaining itself, and it's and literally, if you we'll get into this, the the Center for Medicare uh, Services has the goal privatize Medicare totally by 2030. Right. Mm. Well, that's you know not and not only you know you said that this the insertion of the profit motive and and these third parties and these insurance companies not only do they provide no value. But but you also point out, and it, and it's not just you saying this. You're like r reporting from like GAO reports, and you know this is well known that it's actually in in fact a negative value to the consumer, yes. uh, to the consumer right, to the human who needs this care to survive, uh, but also to the to the taxpayer, which is some, which is the taxpayer is is supposedly this this thing that we that we worship in America, right? But let's right. start with the. Um, the introduction of these insurance companies in, into Medicare, and and you uh, you know one of the things that you mentioned in your article is that a driving factor in the in the privatization of Medicare is HMOs. I, explain that. What is what is an HMO? What what is the function there? Well, the, an HMO uh, 
what was one of the originating uh, private privatization schemes. And I, I think that for the general public, what you what you have to start back is in the context that they they name they name these uh, devices or, or schemes in different ways. So an HMO essentially is gathering all of the all of potential patients in a in a certain area for a certain employer and grouping them together and then saying that because we have these people in in the system in our insurance company that will be able to provide uh, better care for you. And that was the original original methodology used by the privatization. But as you as you can just go through the history, none of these things have saved any money. So they call them names and, and one is HMO, now we have Medicare Advantage. So that, that was the first privatization of Medicare, the insertion of an insurance entity into it. As I said, it's simply a third party coming between you, whereas with single payer, with traditional Medicare, you go to the physician, you go to the provider, Medicare pays. Medicare for all, or single payer, is simply a payment system that saves the taxpayers money. Rather than have some insurance company, whether it's an HMO or whatever, saying, well, maybe Ed Gristar or Jacob has to go to see another doctor, or he or she can't get this service because we don't think it's necessary. There's immense administrative costs that are associated with all these middle people coming into the healthcare because they have to be looking at your bills. They have to be looking at everything, mm -hmm. as opposed to Medicare, which only has a 2% overhead. Insurance companies over overheads 10, 15, 20% because all of the ridiculous commercials that you see on TV call Joe, right. Joe Namath calling you up or, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's all simply a waste of money, literally. And people say, oh, that can't be true. The answer is it is true. It's, it's a waste that doesn't provide any value. Right. Yeah, I'm mean, exactly. And that's and that profit, you know, that it, it's a waste. It, it, it's a waste in terms of. Why are we advertising for these services? Why can't people just go to their doctor and get a recommendation about what type of insurance they need? Or or, or why should they even have to have a recommendation on the type of insurance at all? Why can't we just, uh, you know, particularly the conversations about Medicare, why can't we just have, when you're 65 and older, you get the care that you need, and that's just taken care of? You know, that's that was right, the right. that was the whole that was the whole shtick of Medicare is that you don't have to worry about all this nonsense that we have, you know, while you're a working person. And that's the thing that I don't understand why there's not more agitation about this because I hate, hate paperwork. And so every, t every year having to fill, you know, having to decide whatever, you know, this is the kind of healthcare I still want to do this, even though it's going to cost more this year. Like, I don't know why there's not more agitation about that. Right. But that we weren't supposed to have to deal with that when we retired. And yet now we are, and they're using this money to not only pay to advertise and all these administrative costs, but also the CEOs are making money. And CEOs are making a lot more money than the head person of Medicare would. And for right. what reason? Right. Yeah, and I, I think again, you 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 have to look at what is the uh, ideological drivers of this. The ideological drivers are that it can be used as a cat. I say cash cow, 
and and all of the research that has just come out. I mean, it's like billions and billions of wasted dollars, profits, mm. excess billing, everything that could be, as you said, transferred back into the delivery of care to the to the public. And our unions, our unions, literally. Uh, sit on are sitting on the sidelines and they're they're kind of having you know their finger finger looking in the air or whatever and saying well mm. we we don't really know what to do with this and it it and it's the necessity of us to 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 show and, and to get some kind of an upsurge uh because this is this has been going on with Republicans and Democrats I think the last time, we checked into it, and one of our one of our demands is Medicare Advantage literally has a Medicare Advantage uh, like uh, King and Queen show where they where they have people signing on and saying we support Medicare Advantage. We're in the Congress, mm-hmm. and our our point is that it's some of the people who sign on to these things for Medicare Advantage uh, are are not some of them. Many of them are Democrats. And many of the same people who claim they support Medicare for all will sign on, say they support Medicare Advantage, which is a, mm. it's just two op- two polar opposites. So right. it's time to educate and it's time to to because the crisis is not going to go away and, and it's it's going to continue. And Biden, the Biden administration now has just picked up on what Trump started. But if you go back to this and, and again, I think people people really especially labor people working people not just ones who were in the union but people who work for a living who they have to understand that in 2010 when the ACA was implemented when it was uh, voted on there was inserted in there a special provision that uh, that they would establish pro- pilot programs and all of these pilot programs are essentially privatization schemes Mm. Called called under different names or different anachronism, and uh, and and their whole essence is to take these pilot programs and then force them literally onto the Medicare beneficiaries. And literally, it, 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 it's almost it's almost bizarre that you could have a program right now in Congress that is privatizing Medicare ACO reach. It's called. That has no congressional oversight. Literally, it's written into the law. There's no congressional oversight, and there's very little pushback from Congress because half of them are literally bought off by the same insurance companies. Biden got more money from the healthcare industry, the pharma, than Trump. So mm. th- th- this delusional idea that somehow uh, everything is bad because uh, that that Trump did it, you kind of got to get right. away from this. That that it, it, we really have to focus on. Who is behind this? And it's clear that, that 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 it's both parties. And when I say both, I'm talking about from the inception 50 years ago when Medicare was passed. Keep in mind, when Medicare was passed, it was a, a, a tremendous civil rights achievement because mm-hmm. all of the hospitals in the South, mostly in the South, had to be desegregated. Literally, they had to be desegregated or they wouldn't get Medicare money. And that was a tremendous victory for 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 civil rights for black people in, in actually in just the elementary provision of health care. People don't even know that how that all was established. It was a huge fight. 
to get to get Medicare established, especially in the South, because of what I just said. So now you're literally having it stolen away from you, taken away from you right before your eyes. And the people who should be fighting it are literally partaking in it. And it's just it's mm-hmm. just it's just obscene. And these and, and, and I, I want to. I want you to explain these Center for Medicare and Medicaid quote innovation centers, right? But but the uh, I I also wanted to pull this out from your article before we go to that. You know, you mentioned about the administrative costs. We talked about the advertising. We talked about the profits that's going to these middlemen that have no reason for being there. But also, um, in 2020 alone, these companies, these Medicare Advantage companies exaggerated risk scores of patients and generated 12 billion dollars right. in overpayments in addition these uh more uh, these medicare advantage companies routinely deny care and so right. there is there is a i mean this is hurting seniors this is hurting taxpayers this is just not a good deal to privatize Medicare or Medicaid. And so, you know, that you mentioned that, that inserted into the passage of the ACA was this language that created a new agency. Um, And it's called the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Uh, And so, you know, wow, Ed, innovation. That sounds... What's wrong with innovation, Ed? Are you... Exactly. What's what's your deal? I think think that, that, again... The, the 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 prostitution of our of our language in to the extent that they're able to use things that give a connotation that this is positive. So people say, oh, you're exactly right. That's why they named it this. And, and if you're smart enough, which I think most people are, you have to say, well, why are all these innovative quote programs all privatizing programs? Why don't they have a pilot program? that talks about the need of expanding Medicare for everybody saving money. Because Mm -hmm. the whole essence of the people running the Congress and running this whole show is not to provide Medicare for all with a cheaper system. It's to ingratiate themselves literally to the insurance companies who are really running, running the show. The private insurers are running the show. They see a lot of money. Uh, In fact, uh, the Medicare Advantage uh, insurance companies make more money off of Medicare Advantage than they make off of selling traditional health insurance. So what does that really tell you? That we're basically subsidizing these these corporations, these literally parasitical corporations who then come on the idea and say that, well, we're, we're, we're innovative, we're saving money. And it's just not true. As you just pointed out, $12 billion. And you can go through some of my links and do your own research on a lot of the money that has been found to be misappropriated. They aren't even going after and getting. They're not even mm-hmm. seeking money. They're not seeking penalties, not seeking fines. Uh, it's just, I mean, I think that it, it it's like a teachable moment. You have Southwest Airlines uh, just walking away and say, ha, 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 you know, and, and you have all of these uh the criminalities associated with the, with the system, and yet instead of having an upsurge, instead of having a popular alternative vision put out there by either the Democrats or even the top unions, you really have silence. So people are confused. They have nowhere to go. They're they're disoriented. They're 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 kind of like figuring out well who is on my side. 
And I think what we're what we're saying or I'm saying is labor has a classic opportunity here to re-resurrect its real mission. And if they don't do it, uh, it, it you're going to see that it's it's just going to be a further uh, downward spiral of, of everything, because either we have an alternative look at what's going on or the, the, the wolf is just going to devour the, the system and right. and. Like I'll give you an example. In Canada, almost the same thing is going on. In Canada, they're arguing in, in Ontario, at least, that they're privatizing the healthcare system, they're underfunding the healthcare system. And labor unions in Canada literally are holding big rallies and they're pushing their leaders, they're at least articulating the problem. And here we we don't have anything. And you know, so it's up to really it's up to us. You're the union. I mean, remember the old days that say you were the you and union. Right. Well, you know, either you do it or, 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 you know, or you could just ignore it. Just, just put your head in right. the sand and, and, and just ignore it and, or point fingers at somebody else, you know, and, but well, I, now, I hope. Yeah. Well, Ed, you know, you're, you're saying that, you know, uh, you know, Democrats haven't been loud enough about this. Uh, the, the, uh, labor leadership hasn't been loud about this, but now, you know, uh, the Republicans just got the speakership and I, I understand that they really hate corruption, and it is, sounds pretty corrupt. You're, you're not anticipating <laughs> exactly. that the Republicans are going to do no. something about this? No, I, I, I think that, that there again, it's, it's a teachable moment for us that if if the Republicans, like you just said, demagogically, they, they'll rail about anything. But will they actually do anything? Well, I think we ought to, you know, you, ought to, you could hold their feet to the fire. Like you could go to the Republicans and say, here's $12 billion of corruption. Why are you doing this? And, you know, and, and try to change the the terms of the debate. And I think that's really what we have to do. And that's what we're trying to do. I mean, we're, we're just trying to, and there are some labor uh, councils that have passed resolutions and it's all in the, you know, that, that you know, we're trying to create a new alternative uh, to to fight this, and I think the pub once the public would become aware of it, and see that's the role of labor. Labor has the resources. Labor has the potential uh, power to do it, and it has to assume that role. But it can't assume that role if we don't have an organized plan. And and this is the first part is hopefully doing what we're doing now. And yeah, the Republicans. I mean, what can you say? You have to just use. But, but but it's also you can shrug your shoulders and say, well, why aren't the Democrats doing it either? You know, they're they're mm -hmm. they're they're not really saying anything either. You know, uh, so yeah, so we right, have a right. plague on kind of both your houses. Yeah, and this and this ACO reach. You say in your article that this you know, and and this is one of these um, these quote unquote pilots. Yes, that was established <clears throat> under here. You're saying that this program auto-enrolls beneficiaries who have selected traditional Medicare into a privatized program without their consent, and that these programs can actually be eligible for profits of 25 to 40%. How is that possible, that they're enrolling these people who want traditional Medicare into a private plan? <laughs> well, it, it, it is kind of, and they set it up to be complicated, so I'll try to, to simplify it. So. I'm in traditional Medicare, and I have a, a personal uh, primary care physician. If if one of these ACO REACH programs can go to my PCP and tell my PCP that we'd like you as a doctor 
to enroll in this program, uh, we'll give you certain incentives. We'll give you certain uh, benchmarks that you should be following. And that, if you if you think about healthcare, uh, there's really not much to save except by denying care. You know, either you deny care where it's necessary or or you can't make really a profit so so that's kind of like what where it's all at they'll take a pcp without the knowledge of the beneficiary and say that you know we'll help you the doctor manage uh, ed's care or jacob's care manage meaning controlling where he or she could go and then they might have a network and they have told people who uh protested this that they'll say well you know what if if your doctor has decided to go into this program, you, Ed, you, all you got to do is go find another doctor. Ha mm. ha. So they, you're not really forced into this. But the reality of it is, is that depending upon the age of people, depending upon their physical location or ge geography, depending upon the ability to get another doctor, it's just another almost insurmountable hurdle that people will face. Mm -hmm. And all of this is done to, to as I said, to, 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 to provide profit for these entities, which, again, use the argument, hey, we're going to save you money. We're going to save you money. We're, we're gonna, and the reality is that any money saved is usually just part of their profit. So uh, it's, it's very insidious and it's, it's, it's just it's just wrong. And I could get back into the uh, the Medicare Advantage uh, scam because you have this ACO reach, which automatically would enroll people without their knowledge. And then you have the Medicare Advantage program, which the government has set up codes. And so that you have to know how that scam works. And it and it's it, the New York Times did a good article exposing all of this. It's pretty simple. Basically, what they do is they say that if you want to get into a Medicare Advantage plan, we pay differently. Whereas with traditional Medicare, you go and you get services and the provider is paid. With Medicare Advantage, they get a lump sum of money per recipient. But how do they know how much money to get for a recipient? Aha, what they do is they get an opportunity to code your physical health. And the, the messaging here is it's right for, for uh, corruption because they'll, they'll insert different codes. They'll say, well, Ed Gristar has this problem. He has this problem. And, and they'll upcode it so that instead of getting uh, $5,000 per Medicare recipient, they may get twenty-five dollars or $30,000. And then any money not used is their profit. And this is all documented. And it's all it's all out there and it's all been associated with part of the 12 billion in overpayments. Yet people say some people in Congress say, well, you know what we have to do, Ed? All we have to do is shut down the bad actors, you know, the bad, mm -hmm. the real bad thieves. We'll leave some of the, the, the ancillary thieves there. And our whole point is the whole essence of it is wrong. It's just because why you go back to 1965 that's why medicare was created as a single payer uh mm -hmm. system without profiteers uh, so and, i think well the and 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 the response from labor to this 
has been, you know, you, you point out two different polls, but, but I mean, really the, um, you know, definitely the weight of the leadership is, is really behind one. And, and in one poll, you're showing that, and this is, I want clarification here, in New York City, retirees have had to file lawsuits to stop their own leaders from changing their coverage from traditional Medicare with a supplement to a Medicare Advantage plan. Is that uh, their own leaders? Is that unions or their own city leaders? Well, I think that the, 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 it's, it's both. So number one, when you have Medicare, because the weakness of initial Medicare, it only pays about 75 or 80% of the, of the cost. So people traditionally in the past, what they've done is they have gotten a, a supplemental plan. Okay, that's what that's what I have. You have to go and purchase another supplemental plan to cover the things that Medicare doesn't cover. Now that is that is an expensive or somewhat expensive. And as healthcare costs go up, those costs go up depending upon uh, your age and depending upon where you live. So like right now, I think I'm paying hundred and forty dollars a month, which is a substantial amount of money. Wow. That's so more I, than okay. I'm paying. Yeah. So so if you have a supplement, you then get coverage on the things that Medicare doesn't. You can go to any doctor and, and that's how that works. And that worked kind of seamlessly for many people. But the people who just are retiring, many of those people in their union contracts, the 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 employer 25 years ago or whatever, 10 years ago, 2050, whatever, they paid the cost of the supplement. So they had good health care up until they retired. And then when they retired, people said, well, who's going to, how do I continue to pay my, my, my health care costs? Cause it may be a hundred, $200 a month, as I just told you. Right. What was negotiated was the employer would pay that Medicare supplement because in the past it wasn't that much of a financial burden. And there was only a limited number of people that got it. So as the, as the cost rose, the employers would say, well, what the hell am I paying your supplemental cost? I'm just going to go out and and force you into a Medicare Advantage plan that, guess what, is is literally subsidized by the other taxpayers. Mm. And, of course, the Medicare Advantage plans has all the negatives. They have to have pre-authorizations. They limit care. And they use this argument with the cities, the municipalities. This is going on in, in any employer's. They use the argument that this costs too much money. We have to. We should just shove you into a Medicare Advantage plan because the Medicare Advantage plans are cheaper. Why? Because mm. they're subsidized by the taxpayers. So you have like this vicious circle, and the unions then are in the kind of a position where they they throw their hands up and they say, "Well, what are we going to do here?" And so, and the, then the retirees are saying, "Well, I'm going to potentially get worse coverage." I should have this, and that's that's the essence of it. And the whole argument that we're making is that the, the insane corruption should be ended, and you could provide everybody with better health care. Mm. You know, right? Because well, you, you know, and that's. I hope that answers it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, and in addition to that. Uh, the you say that the Alliance for Retired Americans, which is the AFL-CIO's national retiree organization, they haven't issued any statements about that. And you also say that activists around the country are reporting that they're being cautioned 
by the Alliance for Retired Americans mm -hmm. to yeah. not call for the cancellation of the ACO REACH privatization program. Well, that's because if you like, like, again, this is this is getting a little off the weeds, but I'll try to explain it real quickly. It's like the ARA is the <clears throat> official retiree organization of the AFL-CIO. The national AFL-CIO sets the policies at this point because they're so weak. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't go there because they're well, no, I mean, I think that's they yeah, haven't <laughs> they haven't issued any any critical analysis of this program, ACO reach privatization of Medicare, what they're saying is, you know what? Hey, our great friend, Joe Biden, who just broke the railroad strike, he's mm -hmm. the most pro-labor person in the world. Guess what? He doesn't want you to be bitching about the ACO program. We have to analyze it. And that's mm -hmm. literally what they're saying. So the people in the lower echelons of the ARA, these, 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 these grassroots groups in each of the states, some of them are starting to say, well, we've heard presentations and would like to know more about this. Why don't you do anything? And their answer is just what I said. Hey, you can't you as the lower echelons can't be making official complaints because we, the top mm. people, control what the policy is. And so what all we're saying is, is that rather than them lead the fight, they're literally damping it down. They're, they're pushing mm -hmm. down on it what they should be pushing up. Right. And, and you, but know, there, you uh, say that there are there are labor organizations across yes. the country that are pushing back. Yes, yes, and I think that's that's the positive, and you know, there's a positive and negative in almost mm -hmm. everything. So in this case, you do have people once they hear it, once people explain it to them, they're saying, "Well, what the hell is going on here? This this is not right," and and I I think that that's really what's what we need to have in the labor movement we need to have a groundswell of people from the bottom to push it push a new paradigm because the, 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 each day it it's clear and clear what's needed and what we don't have and the existing structures can't provide it they simply can't provide it they're not capable of providing the necessary leadership yet it's right there in front of us it's right there it's ready to be uh, fought for and it, but it, but people have to come to grips with. It. They say, "Well, I don't want to do it." Well, you know what? If you don't want to do it, then it ain't going to get done. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and I'll um, we, we can uh, answer this question from the chat from uh, David Story, friend of the show, uh, co-founder of the program, actually. Um, and this is a bit off off topic of the, but I think that we've gone through the the privatization of Medicare uh, conversation, and and he had a, a question about you know you're a you're an advocate of Medicare for all, um you know I I am as well, um and he said that I'd ask Ed what he'd say to convince older unionists like myself that have watched neoliberalism decimate our social programs. How can we trust the same government to do what's in our best interest with respect to? Uh, Medicare for all, and I guess, and and I'll give my thoughts, and and Ed, you can think about it as well. But but my my thoughts would be basically that the that you know, in addition to neoliberalism decimating social programs, like we've been talking about with Medicare, this whole program, uh, I mean, the same thing has been happening in our union contracts. You know, and Ed, I think you could speak to that just as well. Um, you know, you've been negotiating contracts, and healthcare is a very big 
portion of union contracts, and the same thing has been happening in our union contracts, is that healthcare has been getting worse, Medicare has been getting worse, it's all been getting worse. Um, and the antidote to that is, is the same way that we got Medicare in the first place, which is you know a, a powerful <coughs> organization of working people, powerful right. labor movement, uh, militant labor movement, pushing back to get things like Medicare, to get things like good healthcare in our union contracts, and and um, and I think I and I I would be I, I would just think that it would be easier to maintain a Medicare for all system nationally than it would be for everybody to maintain good health care and all their individual union contracts. And that would be right. that would be my first my kind of initial thoughts about it, just because it affects everybody the same yeah. as opposed to you as an individual workforce going against this company or at a work site or even, you know, industry wide. Instead of that, you've got the whole of the country that will be agitated by a change in your insurance as opposed to just your workplace right. and, and being able to pick you off that way. Yeah, you, 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 that's it. I mean, how, yes, that's pretty much it. It's like, that's why when people say, you know, we need the, uh, you know, we need a change in the, in the way people are thinking, that's pretty much it. If you have individual contracts, thousands of insurance companies, thousands of individual contracts, you get people pitted against each other, you know, and, and one insurance company, one union. And if you have everybody in, you would have a, a much, greater benefit. I mean, mm. this is where people, people who are, who have union contracts and they say, well, you know what, Ed, if I had Medicare for all, I'm going to lose my benefits. And, you know, and, and, and it's like we interviewed a congressperson from Western Pennsylvania who said, well, I don't think I could really support Medicare for all. And we said, well, why not? Well, you know, uh, some people have benefits under Medicaid. Mm. Literally, Medicaid, which is even lower than Medicare, and I don't know whether if we had Medicare for all, they would they would continue to get those benefits. And it's just like of just skimming over reality because most people don't have uh, you know seventy percent of the benefits that would be in a Medicare for all plan. For instance, long term care. Who has long term care that people now literally have to go bankrupt? You have to be poor to put your relative or your family member in a nursing home. And then mm -hmm. the coverages are bad. And if you had Medicare for all, as you said, everybody would be in the program. There would be a national, a natural push from the public to maintain quality services. And so you have all these other hearing, dental. You know, what kind of a society claims that dental isn't related to health care? It's right. just it's crazy. I mean, yeah. and, and but nobody speaks up to that. And I think that's what if we had people speaking that way and unions fighting for this. Remember, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we had 600 unions supporting Medicare for all 600. Mm. And like, where are they at now? What are they doing? And I think we have to realize that the public is with us on this. And what we lack is literally a political direction. And it's programs like this hopefully that people will listen to and we have to get out there and just organize i mean you know i guess i'll, I'll end it by not end it by my last organizing drive with PASNAP. i will never forget it in in that people came to the union meeting the nurses came to the union meeting and they they said hey ed what is your union going to do 
that's different. This the same the same people are are going to be in the union that you're going to represent us with, and, and, and they they won't do anything now. They won't fight mm-hmm. for us. They won't. They're they're apathetic. And I, I mean, my point was, if you had the right leadership, if you had the right alternative direction, if you had a different vision, you could create so much energy that you could push things away. And that's really what what is needed. And it's possible. It, I mean, history shows it's possible. And to be different, like the crack, excuse me, the crackpot Republicans today, everything they're fighting for has no impact, literally almost on the average citizen. But if you had people in Congress fighting for our issues, you could create a huge groundswell of support. I I just wanted to (laughs) piggyback on those comments and echo those sentiments from both of you guys. And and, you know, it's my belief as a unionist that the American labor movement must come out strongly and and in a united fashion to declare that health care is a human right. And it's an international disgrace in this country that we don't guarantee health care. And I think labor unions have a huge role to play in pushing for a form of single-payer health care, whether you call it Medicare for all or not, uh, the truth is every single person deserves health care, deserves right. dental care, deserves vision care, right? Deserves long-term care, not because of a contract, not because of anything beyond the fact that there are fellow human beings and we're the wealthiest country in the history of this yep. planet. And if we can do anything, we can take care of our people. Yeah. And it's a shame that we have folks in leadership and in some elements of the labor movement who've forgotten that it's supposed to be a movement right right? not just institutions that you sit on top of and that you ally with other folks who sit on top of other institutions but a bottom-up movement representing rank-and-file working-class people Uh, and i think that if we can build the sort of coalitions that we built in the 1930s and in the 1960s where we see the fusion of, of street power, social movements with a organized and militant labor movement. That's what it's going to take in this country uh, to guarantee, guarantee health care to our, our folks and to do so much more that we need to do. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate uh, your comments, both of you guys, and I appreciate the work that you're doing on this subject, Ed. Ed Grister is, uh, the article is Labor Leaders Provide Cover for Privatization of Medicare. It is in Counterpunch. He is co-founder and current chair of the Western Pennsylvania Coalition for Single-Payer Health Care, former president of the Butler County United Labor Council in Pennsylvania. Ed, thanks for uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good luck Absolutely. to you. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a break really quick. On the other side, we are going to be talking about how um, apparently uh, shoplifting is not why Walgreens had a bad year. We'll be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW 558. 
We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Only 
Talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. We will reply. Um, so, yeah, that was a great conversation. Enjoyed that. Um, so, <clears throat> this is, a, like, a super petty thing, but, um, <laughs> I found out last week that the, um, one of the rule changes that the Republicans are going to make as they go into the, uh, as they, you know, go into the, you know, 100-whatever Congress, um, that they control the House of Representatives for. They are changing the name of the House Committee on Education and Labor to the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. Um, Which is just like, you know, I don't know. It's not like it really matters what the name of the thing is, but you can just tell uh, this is not a populist working class party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, God forbid they use the word labor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, you know, workforce, that's that's one of the trendy terms right. these days. You hear that a lot in the education sector where it's workforce mm. preparation, workforce preparedness, right, right, right. Uh, workforce readiness, right? Uh, who gives a damn about educating the whole child? Just make sure they're ready for the workforce. Yeah, super weird, super weird. Um Here's another quick story in local news. Uh, uh, a family, a Hazel Green family alleges Madison County cops killed the wrong guy after a domestic call um, in Hazel Green. Uh, the cops got a call and they came to this house and they like killed a guy. And the family's saying that this is the wrong guy. The man who was killed has been identified as Ray King, a custodian at Newmarket School, 50 years old, 51 years old. Um, Like I said, the family says it's the wrong guy, and this has now been about 36 hours ago, and the cops have still not disputed this, that it's the wrong guy. So it almost certainly is. I can't imagine a scenario in which this is the right guy and 36 hours later, the cops have still not attempted to correct the record. That would just be a a bizarre timeline. Yeah. And so I, I feel, you know, obviously the fact all of the facts have not come out yet, but it's you know I, I don't know what other conclusion to come to than they killed the wrong guy. They have said while not saying, while not disputing that they killed the wrong guy. They did say that the man who was killed had a gun, which is his right as an American, presumably, ostensibly, to have a gun right, and, in his home. Right, and in Alabama, uh, particularly. Where, in Alabama, where we just passed constitutional carry. Constitutional right. carry went into effect like six days ago. Right. Right? So we're supposed to have the authority to carry a gun in our homes to have a gun for protection. Now, so the cops say he had a gun. Cops say he had a gun. As if that means anything. That doesn't mean anything. The average Alabamian has a gun. Uh, 
the family does dispute this. The family says that he never had a gun, like, on his person, the, that he did have a gun on the counter, which he keeps there for, like, the family's protection or whatever. But, uh, you know, I mean, frankly, a lot of Alabamians answer the door with a gun. <laughs> you know, especially, especially if it's an unexpected knock on the door at 11 o'clock at night, right? This is not... That's not a weird reaction, you know. Not at all, no. It, if I just... if, if I had a gun, if you know, and I you know, I've been meaning to get one for years and I just never have gotten around to it. But if I had a if I had a gun, if I had a pistol, somebody comes around knocking on my door at all hours of the night, uh, I would probably have it on me, on my person, right? That's just that's like that's literally the whole thing about guns ostensibly is you hunt and you protect. This is the this is supposed to be the thing, the reason that you have guns. You're protecting your family or you're hunting, right? And so the idea that the cops are putting out there that, oh, yo, oh man, well, he was armed. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and, and you know, I just want to clarify something in terms of like, well, they, they killed the wrong guy. Well, um, I don't know that there was a right guy yeah, to be well, killed. Sure. Um, yeah. And if there was a legitimate domestic violence incident happening that that required police assistance then you know that is what it is uh, but it's just so disturbing how many times we see calls for assistance to the police result mm -hmm. in someone being killed or being seriously hurt yeah. um, whether it's the quote unquote right house or not and and that does make it even more shocking cuz right. i mean this because what happens, uh, uh, I find a lot of times, is people think that, well, this couldn't happen to me. It couldn't be me. Or it couldn't be my kid, right? It's somebody else. Right. I stay out of trouble. I don't. I don't have any problems with the law. So, you know. But that's not the case. Yeah. You know, this is something that impacts everybody. Uh, I hope that there is a full investigation, and that folks outside of Madison County are involved in investigating it. Because I do not have the confidence um, that they could be that the foxes can guard the hen house, and I, I, I hope yeah. that the truth comes out. I hope that this family can find some peace and and some little bit of justice, uh, because yeah. that's just is <laughs> is disturbing, and it happens way way too frequently, especially here in this this community. It, yeah. it seems to between the Huntsville Police Department and the Madison County Sheriff's Department. The amount of issues we've had in recent years, um, it's just, it's scary. WAFF is reporting a neighbor saying, quote, they need to make sure they're at the right house, unquote, said Roy Thompson, King's next door neighbor who watched him grew up, quote, because it was the wrong house and wrong guy, unquote. Uh, they're also reporting that the Alabama law enforcement agency is uh, investigating the incident, which, you know, to me is... is only marginally better than the Madison County Sheriff's Department um, investigating it as well. So uh, it, it, it's keep, it's a keep, real shame. Yeah, keep your eyes peeled know. on this, and, and we'll keep keep our eyes open for some updates as well. Um, definitely want to see what what comes of this investigation, but that's just uh, it's just awful, and and yeah. I hate it for this family. I couldn't imagine. And um, you know, it's just uh, one more little piece of evidence as to why so many of us have concerns about law enforcement, have fear of law enforcement, it's not irrational. Right.
so the last story that we had today uh, was this about shoplifting. This is about shoplifting. Um, so if you're not following More Perfect Union, you definitely you need to fix that. You need to be following More Perfect Union. They're always putting out some really good Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Some of the best labor reporting happening in the country. Absolutely. Um, and the deal with that is um, they had a thread last week a couple of days ago, as I'm reading this, um, that uh, so from their Twitter page here, last year Walgreens repeatedly sounded the alarm about shoplifting, but today, which was the 5th of January, a Walgreens executive admitted that they might have, quote, cried too much last year, unquote, about theft. Uh, What he didn't acknowledge, however, is that Walgreens is losing money because of billions of dollars in fines, not robbery. Let's remember that last July, More Perfect Union points out, a single, one single viral video about shoplifting at Walgreens got millions of views, was covered in over 300 articles nationwide, and that bolstered the perception that shoplifting at Walgreens was hurting the company's bottom line. And this is about one incident. You know, I mean, we've all saw last last summer, there was just an insane amount of coverage about Oh, shoplifting this, shoplifting that. Shoplifting is so, so bad. Um, an article Yeah, after you would article. have national media talking about like a very localized shoplifting incident yes. and it getting tons of traction. It, it just... Right. Yeah, blown far out of proportion. But the coverage about other... And, and this is the whole thing, right? That working people or people at the bottom rung of society... Our quote unquote criminal behavior, our behavior that is that is antisocial is criminalized and and you know and, and not you know not necessarily unrightfully so. I mean, you know, it's not it, it is not it would not be great for society if everybody just shoplifted everything, okay? You know, I think we all acknowledge that. But but the extent to which people at the bottom rung of our society are shoplifting is so eclipsed by the amount of bad that the people at the top rungs of our society are doing to the rest of us, and yet the coverage of these things is totally inversed. So one of the things that they pointed out is today, which was two days ago, January 5, Walgreens posted its first quarter earnings and they would have generated over a billion dollars with a B in profit if not for a massive $5.2 billion settlement related to opioid litigation. So had they not been a key player in the widespread killing and destruction of lives of people across the country due to opioid addiction, they would have made a billion dollars in profit last year. And yet, how many people knew that? How many people that are listening to me knew that Walgreens settled? I didn't know this before this thread came out. How many people knew that Walgreens did a $5.2 billion settlement related to opioid litigation? Not many of you. And yet, how many of you were aware of this bizarre media creation about shoplifting? All of you. 
every single person that is listening to me is aware of the bizarre media creation around shoplifting in the last year. And yet, if you take, I think, what was the actual numbers on shoplifting? The, the almost certainly inflated numbers. What was it, like 300 million or something? $300 million of property was, was shoplifted in the last year, I think, is something I've seen. I've seen numbers about it, and the numbers are meant to make us believe this is a ridiculous problem. Uh, and yet, in this one company, one company had a $5.2 billion settlement related to opi just the opioid litigation. We're not talking about their wage theft, which they also, Walgreens also got hit with a wage theft lawsuit in 2020, where the company ultimately had to pay out $4.5 million in one year to a combined 2,600 workers. So again, this is one company, two lawsuits, wage theft and opioid litigation, billions of dollars, and yet, this is not the narratives. Why is there not article after article after article just profiling all of the people whose lives Walgreens has destroyed, but there is article after article after article about, you know, some local guy took too much Benadryl from the local Walgreens or CVS, right? That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that you got to think about when you're thinking about the news that you're reading. Why is it that I'm reading this? Why is it that I'm reading this instead of the other thing? On top of that, in 2019, Walgreens also faced $269 million in fines for scamming Medicare. <laughs> right in line with the conversation we were just having yeah. with Ed uh, in terms of fraud involving Medicare, and here's Walgreens. Uh, really, I mean, talking about the shoplifting being a a you know hysteric thing that came up over the past year or two i'm i'm looking and and now they have actually admitted that uh shoplifting went down in the last quarter um so i mean it's it's yeah it's interesting that here it is you know probably what a year or so after this really blew up in the news um Maybe a year and a half. It was sometime in 2021, I think. Because it was like San Francisco, I think, was one of the main places they talked about. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a hysteric news drive all around shoplifting and, and supposed shoplifting rings that were popping up and um, how much money they were supposedly losing to this. Uh, but to your point, you know, how much money is lost to wage theft every year? You know, how much money is lost by working people because they are underpaid, they are not paid their overtime as uh, they are supposed to be paid, they are cheated hours, they are cheated right. breaks. Like, come on. We, we know the extent to which wage theft is such a huge problem in this country uh, that certainly doesn't get anywhere near the kind of coverage that, yeah, people stealing uh, laundry detergent from Walgreens is getting. And, and again, like you said, it's not to condone people stealing from Walgreens by any means. Uh, but it's just a matter of, of power dynamics, really. Um, you've got executives at Walgreens making ginormous amounts of money uh, with their salaries, their dividends, their bonuses, knowing that their business model is hurting people, whether that, that's right. through the opioid addiction or through other me methods. Um, I was telling you off the air earlier that, you know, I 
used to go to Walgreens for my prescription medications, and I cannot go there anymore because of how many times they they personally did harm to me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's a minor compared to the type of harm we're talking about, um, but it's just suck it up, Walgreens. Yeah, I don't want to hear, and it's it's a shame so many media outlets kind of ran with that uh, that sensational coverage and provided them that coverage, uh, which mm-hmm. to me um, offset offset the the punishments that they were paying. Uh, and made it easier for them to spin a story. Absolutely. And the idea that, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's important to, you know, understand where where the media is coming from, what what what's being reported, what isn't being reported. And, you know, that's such an elementary thing about media literacy that so many people don't know. Like I was talking to and I, and, and this and uh, so I had a conversation about a week and a half ago with um, Scott Buttram from the Trustville Tribune, who's the publisher and the owner of that paper in Trustville. And I mentioned that to him. He's a conservative, but he really tries to pride himself about, you know, like, I don't want, you know, whenever we're doing reporting, you know, opinion's different. But whenever we're doing reporting, I don't want people to know whether or not the reporter is a conservative or a liberal or whatever. And he says he gets compliments from liberals about that, about his reporting, that, that they're reporting that they don't know, the, you know, whatever, whatever. And I don't doubt that, you know, and I don't doubt that maybe even he has, you know, I don't know the guy really well, but maybe he even has these lofty ideals. But I told him, you know, that the, the reporting on the story is a political act. You can, you can choose to report on this story and report all of the, all of the facts and all of even the relevant facts about this story, but this choice to report on that story as opposed to this one is a political act. And it was like, he had never thought about that before. And he was like, that's something I'm going to take away from this conversation, Jacob. I, that's a, that's a really, and I'm like, what do you mean? You're like 60 years old. <laughs> what? And you're the owner of a newspaper. How have you not thought about this before? That's crazy. That's bizarre. But, you know, hey, I give you credit for having that conversation and and talking about that. And frankly, he's not alone uh, and not really having that that (laughs) that uh, insight, I I would say. Um, And and that's something that we talk about a lot on the show is our frustrations with the the media and also the way people uh, can be shaped by the media. It's, you know. I, I, I just yeah. can't get over it sometimes how quickly the media can change people's minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. It's what they cover. It's what they don't cover. It's how they cover. It's who they talk to. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, like it's prioritized. It's how things are framed even, like the, the yeah. way things are, are laid out on a website, the way the headlines are written. Because, uh, you know, there's all we all know about the, like the clickbait headlines that don't really match the story. And yeah. there's just so many different ways in which media um, can be biased or is biased. And the truth is we all have our own biases. And no matter how hard you try to be a neutral, objective reporter, you are still a person who belongs to society. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, you know, it, 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 it's it, it's. Over the holidays, they didn't, like, update their site. And so for, like, five days, the top two stories was, like, this mugshot of a guy who was arrested for murder and this other um, announcement from 
the area chamber of commerce. You know, so for five days you go to their website, and the first two things you see is like scary man arrested for murder, and um, and look at what the bosses are doing. Right? That's political. That's political. But um, but he seems like a you know like a lot of conservatives. He seems like a nice guy interpersonally, and he and he did tell me you know if there's ever any story you think we should cover, or if you want to write anything for us, let us know. We cover here's the city's Trustville, Clay, Pinson, Centerpoint, Argo, Springville, Leeds, Moody, and Irondale. So if y'all have any labor stories there, I have ostensibly been giving an given an invitation to cover stuff for them. So um, let me know. With that, we're going to head into overtime. We got an email from Paul Ray. Paul Ray, if you're listening, I'll reply to your email the second we get off of the air. Uh, make sure, folks, that you um, uh, that, that you donate to the UMWA Strike Pantry, paypal.me slash UMWA Strike Pantry. Friends of the show, Obed Edom, have a new album out. Check it out on Bandcamp. Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform will be holding an in-person and family-friendly meeting during the third week of January. Stay tuned for details. We're going into overtime. Stay tuned. All power to the workers.